This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Dominance on the world stage, record-breaking crowds, World Cup titles and adoration with the Australian public. The Australian women's cricket team has experienced unprecedented success in recent years and my next guest is the woman at the helm of it all. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by Meg Lanning, captain of the Australian women's cricket team. Meg has captained Australia since 2014 when she took the reins as a bright-eyed 21-year-old and has been described as a -a once-in-a-generation player. Today, she shares more on her changing approach to leadership over the years and how she's led Australia's national team to the heights of success during one of the most exciting periods for women in cricket. So Meg Lanning, thank you very much for joining us. Now, I happen to know um, from doing a little bit of research, you're not in the country at the moment. You're actually in quarantine somewhere. Where are you and what's going on? Uh, Currently in Christchurch, uh, yeah, quarantining for a a tour coming up against New Zealand. So uh, we're about 10 days into the quarantine period. And um, luckily, we we are able to do some training each day. So um, we've got an exemption to do that. So yeah, it hasn't been too bad so far, but looking forward to, to getting into some games soon. Yeah, oh, look, that's fantastic. I mean, it's great that sport's still happening, if you like. And look, we'll come back and talk about that a, a little bit later. So look, you've had a, um, I mean, there's no other way to put it. You've had a really fantastic career so far and, and you're under 30. So, you know, still a way to go. You're captain of the national women's team. You've been, been a member of five successful world championship campaigns. And you've also already got a few world records under your belt. So take me back to the beginning. Where did it all come from? Did you always want to play cricket? I always wanted to, to play sport. Uh, I, I love sport growing up. There, there's five kids in our family and um, there was plenty of, of competition and uh, my mum and dad were also heavily involved in sports. So I guess from a young age I was really active and, and loved getting outdoors and, and playing playing competitive sport, I guess. And uh, it wasn't sort of, yeah, until probably sort of nine or ten when I worked out cricket was, was probably the the sport that I wanted to play, but uh, I didn't really care too much when I was younger. I just wanted to be able to go out and, and uh, I guess, yeah, get some competitive instincts going and um, that's sort of where it all started for me. Okay. So you said there around nine and ten you realised cricket was the sport that you wanted to play. What what was it about cricket? I mean, did it just click, if you know what I mean? What, what was the thing? Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess I was reasonably good at it as a, as a young player and um, I guess when you have some success when you're young, um, you sort of want to keep doing it. So that was probably a factor as well. Uh, my, my dad played a big role in getting into cricket. He he watched a lot of cricket on TV and, and played some himself. So um, I guess that was where I first saw the game and uh, at, at primary school and, and even high school, I played a lot of cricket with the boys. There weren't a lot of girls playing the sport, but it didn't really bother me too much. I just loved the competitive side of it. Um, you know, sort of like the one-on-one battles within the game, you, you got to really test yourself against someone else. And I think that was probably the element that I enjoyed the most. Mm. And you mentioned there that you played with um, quite a few boys, boys sports because at that time there probably were there any girls teams around or there probably only a few girls teams around. There weren't really many girls teams at all, to be honest, and that was that was the reason why I played with the boys. That that was sort of the only option, and um, all through primary school I. I just joined in. There was there was no issues. The you know the boys had me in the team, and and I was enjoying being out there and being active, and um, and that sort of happened all through high school as well. Uh, you know the the school I went to, Kerry Grammar, was very supportive of me 
getting involved in, in cricket and, and it was sort of like, well, if you enjoy it, you can keep going. If, it, if it's not for you, you can go and play something else. But I had a great experience um, playing in those teams and it certainly taught me a lot. It, it sort of took me outside my comfort zone a, a fair bit, but I think um, doing that from an early age certainly had a big impact on my career and, and where, I, where I am now. Okay, so you play in school and like you say, you play with lots of boys teams because there, there aren't that many girls teams. When do you start playing in female teams? Uh, well, that was probably through the, the pathway sort of program. So under 15s is, is the first real, um, yeah, I guess girls state team. Um, I play a little bit of, of, un, of under 12s as well, sorry. So that was probably the first first taste I had. But in terms of sort of state pathways, under 15s is the, is the first one. And, um, yeah, that's when I sort of started playing in those competitions and working my way up up the ladder, I guess, to the open state team. That was sort of the next step. So, um, you know, they had those sort of state and regional teams in, in place, I guess. But in terms of really junior teams and, and girls teams at schools, there wasn't really um, too many options there. Mm. What was it like when, when you first came together and played with women, though? Is there any differences? Or I mean, you make it sound, and I don't doubt this, you know, you make it sound as though playing with boys was not an issue. You know, essentially, it sounded to me like you all loved cricket, essentially you all loved sport. You know, people weren't really thinking about gender so much. Um, did you notice any differences when you came to play with all female teams? Or again, was that reasonably seamless? Uh, it was reasonably seamless, to be honest. I mean, each team that I, I played in, um, everybody was, was really just enjoying playing in a team sport and, and being outdoors and, and playing playing together. And, um, yeah, there were slight differences in, in terms of the way the game was played, I guess. The, the boys bowled a bit quicker and probably ran around a bit quicker as well. But in terms of the fundamentals and uh, the team atmosphere and things like that, it, it, it wasn't really too much different. As I said, everyone was just enjoying themselves and, um, I think that was probably what drew me to the sport in the first place and that's what, what kept me going as well. Mm. Now, okay, as I said, you know, you've had a really fantastic career so far. So you started off playing the state team and then you moved to playing the national team. And then in 2014, you become the youngest ever captain of a cricket team. And I think if I read it correctly, the youngest ever captain of any national team in Australia. Um, tell me a little bit about that and how that came about. <laughs> it came about pretty quickly and sort of out of the blue, to be honest. Um, you know, growing up and coming through all the the junior pathway teams, I'd never been in a leadership role. And, and to be honest, I hadn't really given it much thought. I was just yeah doing my own thing in, in the team. And uh, when I got given the opportunity to, to, first of all, be vice captain of the team in 2014 um, for an Ashes series against England, I was yeah a little bit um, surprised, I guess, that I'd been given the role because, as I said, I hadn't um, it hadn't really been something I was striving for. Um, and I hadn't really had an experience before, so um, it, it did surprise me a little bit. And as it turned out, unfortunately, the, um, Jodie Fields, who was the captain at the time, she broke her finger after a couple of games of that series, and that meant that I was in charge um, after only a few games being the vice-captain. And so I was definitely learning on the job a fair bit, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I guess in a lot of ways, you know, it – it just allowed me to to try new things and and work it out as I went in terms of of the way I wanted to to be a leader. So um, there was a lot of learnings very quickly, but I think in the end um, it just allowed me to to sort of go with the flow a fair bit. Mm. So that was, as you said, um, uh, you know, sort of leadership thrust upon you, if you like. Um, but but you've been in that position now for a while. So what have the learnings been? I mean, what are what is your uh, approach to leadership? I think for me the relationship side of leadership is uh, the biggest challenge and um, the thing you sort of 
got to get right. Uh, I, I guess the, the on-field stuff in, in cricket, the, the tactical side of things, probably comes a little bit more naturally to me and a, a lot of it is sort of based on instincts and, and reading the game and, um, you know, you, you get better at that with, with the, you know, experience and the more you play. But the relationship side of things, um, you know, trying to get the best out of each individual within your, your team at, you know, certain times we'll have anywhere between sort of 13 and 17 people in, in the squad and everybody's different. And um, I, I guess the the key to being able to bring everyone together and, and try and get everybody's strengths and weaknesses, I guess, to, to work together is is a big challenge. And um, I think I've sort of learned over time to try and, and get to know people really well on, on a personal level and, and try and build that trust and, and relationship. And, and if you can do that, then that, that really does help things to, to flow onto the field. So uh, I think for me, yeah, it's just trying to be really personable and understanding of, of other people and, um, yeah, trying to see it from their perspective a fair bit. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'd, yeah, I'd sort of say I, I'm willing to, to listen a fair bit and, and um, get other people's ideas on sort of how, how things might work the best because when people feel like they've had input and, and got some control over where the team's going and how it's running, then you can get a lot more buy-in from everybody. So I think, um, yeah, as I've been in the role over time, that that's certainly been the the way that I've gone about it. Mm. And during that period of time, I mean, it's always a very high-profile role being a captain of a national team in Australia as in other countries. What's been the hardest call you've ever had to make? Has there, or has there been a tough period during that time as a leader? I think the the most challenging time since I've been in charge is, was over that sort of 2017 period where we headed into a, a 50 over World Cup as as favourites and, and on paper with probably the, the best team in the world. But uh, we were pretty comprehensively beaten in the semi-final by India and um, it was a little bit of a, um, a bit of a shock at the time uh, and it, it really did hit us pretty hard, but I think once we we reflected on that, we probably realised as a as a team and as a, a leadership group that um, we probably weren't getting the best out of ourselves and and perhaps weren't challenging ourselves enough both on and off the field. So that was a a hard moment, but also a bit of a turning point for our group. So uh, fr- from that moment on, we sort of changed the way we we approach things. We we came up with a new sort of set of values and, and the way that we wanted our team to operate. And um, I guess from my perspective and um, the vice captain as well, Rach, she uh, you know, played a really big role in in starting that off and then also trying to drive it and, and maintain that um, over the next few years. So I guess, yeah, that sort of period of time was a really big challenge because we needed to try and um, get people out of their comfort zones and that included myself to to ask more questions and, and make more mistakes. And uh, I think we, we all learned a lot out of that period and I certainly did as well. Uh, yeah, just in terms of, you know, you think you've got everything under control and it's all going well, but um, when you actually step back and evaluate how you're going, you you might not be going as well as you, you probably thought. So um, mm. that's sort of been a key learning for us over the last mm. few years. Mm. And, and staying on leadership, are there people you look up to as leaders and take inspiration from? And if so, who are they? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's one or two specific people that I, I look up to. I guess over time I've been lucky enough to meet a number of really good leaders and, and people who've had great experiences and I, and I do try to listen and ask questions of those people as much as I can because I think, you know, there are little bits of gold in there that 
that can come through, um, you know, depending on the people that you meet. Um, yeah, I think someone early doors for me who was important in um, my learning was Belinda Clark, who um, is a great of Australian cricket and uh, actually took over the captaincy of Australia at a very young age as well. So um, we had sort of that similarity um, in terms of yeah, taking over when we hadn't had a lot of experience and she was really good for me on and off the, the field and um, she's um, yeah certainly played a big role. But I think, yeah, for me, I, I think it's important just to hear different perspectives and be willing to, um, I guess, ex- expand your, your knowledge and, um, you know, what might be possible. So um, I'm really keen to listen to, to um, you know, all sorts of ideas that can come in. Mm. Now, uh, Meg, we're here on Women's Agenda, which, of course, is all about female empowerment, etc. Um, you, you've been on record as saying, and I did this when I was doing my research on you, is that you wish that male slash female sport was just referred to as sport rather than always being gendered. I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing what you said. Tell me a little bit about that and you know, how do we get that to that point and what would the impact be? So tell me a little bit about your thinking on it, first of all. Yeah, I guess where I'm coming from on, on that point is um, – yeah, you you talk about cricket or AFL or soccer, and and you sort of mention the sport, and automatically the thought sort of goes to the men's team. Uh, and I think that's just within society, and that's I guess you know there's so much men's sport on TV that that's sort of a natural thinking of of, of sort of society. And um, I guess now with all the competitions in in female sport that are up and running now. Um, you know, at times it can be a bit of an afterthought uh, sometimes. So it's sort of, yeah, it's it's cricket and then there's women's cricket or it's AFL and then there's women's AFL sort of thing, almost as if they're um, not on the same level sort of thing. So, um, you know, of course there are differences within the way that they're played um, and that's always going to be the case. But it's sort of just a messaging thing around, um, you know, athletes are athletes and, um, yeah, especially on, on sort of the – the platform of, you know, elite sport and, and how much coverage it gets now, I think it's important with the messaging that we, we give to young people out there, girls and boys, that um, there's equal opportunity out there to, to go out there and play whichever sport you want to. And um, I guess that's just, yeah, a small part in the messaging that I think can have a really big impact. Mm. Do you think if we change more of that messaging, you get other changes in sport? And I, I'm talking to, um, you know, you talk there about equal opportunity. And I think there is equal opportunity to play, but the playing field's not necessarily level when you get out there, particularly in terms of the commerciality around sport, for example. So how do you think about that in terms of what uh, female cricketers earn versus male what male cricketers or just across sports generally? Do you, do you see that changing? Oh, I think we're making massive strides in that all the time at the moment. Um, yeah, when from when I started playing cricket, um, the the contracts uh, in terms of money and you know games played and training and um, coaching facilities and things like that that has improved out of sight over the last sort of five ten years. So um, yeah, it's not something that's going to change overnight. But I think um, you know the more we can talk about it and. And, and the more young young girls and boys can, can sort of see uh, their heroes and their, their idols, you know, on the path that they perhaps want to be on, I think that's that's going to continue to to really push that message. So, um, yeah, you know, I think there's obviously still areas that we can improve upon. I, I think cricket's been leading the way in terms of um, how much they support the, the game of cricket, both men and women, and, um, you know, I think that the more we can keep having these conversations and, um, 
yeah, I think that's going to have a really big impact on how it looks moving forward. And hopefully in 10 years' time, it's it's a lot better than what it is now and, and that continues on as well. But um, I think we've just got to keep, yeah, talking about it, debating it and asking questions and, um, you know, acknowledging, you know, that, that we are on the right path, but there's still a little bit of work to go. Mm. Um, now, we started this conversation and I said that you, were, you asked where you were and, of course, you're in New Zealand. You're in Auckland, I'm assuming? Christchurch. Christchurch, sorry. Um, so tell me about the impact that you think pandemic has had on sport, for example. I mean, did you stop playing and like, how did you manage it? Yeah, I, I think it's had a, a massive impact on sport as it has, um, you know, on the community, you know, and and, and most sort of uh, sectors, I guess. Um, you know, I think everybody's had to adjust and, and change the way that they've gone about things. Uh you know that's that's both in the amount sort of you paid the um, the amount we're playing, uh, the access that we've got to, to certain things. Um, obviously, I'm I'm from Melbourne, so um, we were in lockdown for the majority of um, sort of the back end of last year, and um, you know we we were lucky we were still able to train, but it certainly wasn't at the level that we were probably used to. So um, you know I think sport has obviously been impacted as much as anyone else, but um, yeah, you know, I can really talk from a cricket perspective, but um, I know there's been a lot of hard work done behind the scenes to ensure that there has been some some sport, um, and that was you know, able to continue. And um, there's been a lot of talk around whether, you know, the the momentum of women's sport perhaps uh, might be halted due to the pandemic. And I guess to an extent, it will be just like everything else. But you know, I think it's important, sort of, how we come out of it and. Um, everything that I've seen so far in in cricket is that um, everybody's really keen to continue to push, you know, the the women's side of it as well as the the men's to to make sure there's opportunity there to to keep keep growing the sport. So um, yeah, I guess we won't really see the impacts of it until um, sort of you know one or two years down the track and even further. But um, yeah, I think from my perspective, everyone's tried their best in in very difficult circumstances and in a lot of ways um, as, a, as a sports person we've been very lucky with the opportunities that we've been afforded you know to continue to play over this period of time. Mm. And how did you find it personally? Uh, yeah it was it was a challenge uh, you know I sort of live by myself so I was um, isolated a, a fair bit um, for a lot of the time so just sort of working out strategies to to deal with that uh, was a big thing for me, um, yeah, especially coming off the, the high of, I guess, the, the World Cup in March 2020, um, you sort of, you know, the world changed within a week and, and sort of just adjusting to that and and then, uh, yeah, trying to sort of, um, you know, keep myself in, in a good frame of mind both, you know, obviously from a mental perspective but then also keep my, you know, physically myself ready to play some cricket and finding different ways to do that. Um, you know, I love being active and getting outdoors and obviously we restricted a, a fair bit from that. Um, so I had a, yeah, a little bit of a home gym set up and, and things like that. So um, the biggest thing that, you know, for me is is being adaptable and being able to, to work with different situations that perhaps you haven't dealt with in the past. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I've, I've learned a fair bit as, you know, a lot of people might have and there were certainly some challenging times there. But, um, yeah, luckily for me, um, I was able to, yeah, get back out and play some cricket after not too long. So um, that sort of certainly gave me something to work towards. When you look back on that period, either sort of in terms of cricket or personally, is there anything you've learned from that period that you would keep going forward or you think we should keep, you know, sort of the broader society approach? 
Yeah, I think the most important thing is is really focusing on what's important. Uh, you know, I feel like, um, you know, perhaps previously, you know, from my own perspective, um, you sort of just focus on probably too many things at, at one time and you forget about what is the most important thing. And uh, I guess with limited resources and, and money and, and things like that, you, you really had to narrow it down to, to certain things that you wanted to achieve and um, that was a really important thing for, for me as well. And then, um, you know, I guess from a, uh, an athlete perspective, we, we, we get very focused on on the perfect preparation and, and what we think that that looks like uh, and, and probably get a little bit obsessed with that sometimes. And um, the, the pandemic um, sort of took, took the idea of preparation away from us. You had to do things differently. You couldn't do certain things at certain times. And I guess just building that mental toughness to be able to still go out and perform at, at the level required, even though you felt perhaps like you hadn't prepared as well as you could have. So I think that was a really good lesson, um, you know, not just on the field but off the field as well in terms of just doing as much as you can and, and sort of uh, mentally just sort of talking yourself into the fact that that's just the way it is and um, it's actually about what happens when you go out there and perform and um, have to do the task that you need to do. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode. This episode was produced by Alison Ho. If you enjoyed the episode, then make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast player and please leave us a rating. To hear more from us, visit womensagenda.com.au and I look forward to hosting you in the next episode. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.